Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Here we go. So, question for any of our uh, younger kids. Do we still have seesaws and, and uh, playgrounds or maybe moms or dads that have younger kids? Sort of. Maybe they're a lot safer now. They're like small like that one you see in the picture. Does anyone remember back in the day, like the seesaws that were huge and metal there's a reason why they call them saws. They were like jagged and you could like cut yourself on them. And, and like you could go so high, I was like 50 feet into the air. And you remember that one kid? Maybe you were that one kid. It got the other kid up all high and then jumped off. And <laughs> they come crashing to the ground. Ah, the good old days, right? Well, <laughs> you know, that, the, the seesaw is meant to have this balance, right? This complimentary nice ride. And when we're getting really practical to, to what we've been talking about, uh, Paul's going to get into this thing called a house code. And it's putting on Christ at home. And we're going to see this complementary sort of seesaw, right? Marriage, parents and kids, and even slaves and masters, which <laughs> was going to be hard to apply, but we'll, we'll try. And, and, and you look at it, if, if, if neither do their thing, you don't even get on the ride. If one does it, they come crashing to the ground. But if both, there's this nice equilibrium, right? This nice uh, balance. And I think that's what Paul gives us. It's so beautiful about practically putting on Christ at home. Let's pray as we, we um, come to this passage in Colossians. Lord, thank you so much that you have um, given us this word of truth that we can gather, Lord. As Mike prayed, we do think of our brothers and sisters in places where it is very dangerous, including Afghanistan right now and many other places that meet the risk of their lives to worship you and to be in truth. Thank you that we don't have to do that, that we are free to do it. Lord, let us take this privilege seriously. Thank you that um, your truth is for everyone here, Lord. You know who's maybe not a Christian yet and is desperate for your grace that you would Invite them into a relationship with you even right now as I pray. For those of us that have been Christians for a long time or everywhere in between, those of us who are married or are single, those of us who have kids or parents or don't, those of us who have situations where we need your word of truth tonight in different ways, we ask, we call upon your Holy Spirit to do that work. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So you can, if you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen as you see. Uh, but we're going to actually start with where Pastor Bob did an awesome job last week. Um, I was here at the 9, I think, uh, to, to see that. So he ended in verse 17. So I'm going to just kind of remind you of where Paul ends because that springboards into this really practical passage. Uh, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, take one of those uh, home. Uh, one of those you see in the pew. You can certainly, anyone can use them. But if you don't own one, we want you to have that as as a gift. Just real quick, Family Fun Days next Saturday. You saw that in the announcements. Um, please pray. That's a, a great time where we try to connect with our community. It's why we're on the common and we have lots of games. It's really geared towards families with younger kids, jumpy jumps and face painting and balloon 
animals and a cool animal show, all of that. Um, so pray for good weather, but just really pray that we connect with families that maybe don't have a church and we can show them the love of Christ. Um, also, if you are around at all next Saturday, we could use, even if it's for a couple of hours or set up or clean up, we still could use help. It's a really fun, really nothing hard to do. Uh, it's just need people to kind of facilitate and help. Um, or if you can't, but you really believe in that cause and you want to give financially, it's not cheap because uh, to do something cheap for your community is not good. So uh, it takes money for sure. So if you want to give towards, uh, you can just write it on an envelope or give online and just mark it Family Fun Day. Um, again, just especially pray that we have good weather. Even really hot, humid weather will take it. Just not rain. So not rain like the other day especially. So um, as we, we come to uh, this uh, th- this passage that we call the house house code or what they might call uh, house code, I want you to just rem- remember the, so sort of the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, if, if you were here, when I, I, was, I shared and I had the, you know, the guy up here in our seat, remember our friend? And uh, it's a woman, I know, it's a woman. And, and she, we, we clothed her in Christ, gentleness and humility and long-suffering and, and, and all bound by, by love. And then last week, uh, Bob, kind of his, his passage, it gives us a little bit more general. But you see verse 17, whatever you do, sort of sums it up. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And here's a neat trick for you. In the Greek, if you're a nerd, the word you see, everything, it actually means everything. In case you're paying attention. It's not, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. It means everything. You, it, which means there's no excuses or quality, well, except for this, or except for this area of my life. No, no, no. Do everything. This is, of course, if you're a Christian. If you're not, it's not going to happen. You can fake it for a while. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you, which is what happens when you trust and faith in Christ. So if you've done that, you have what's available to do everything. And the point of everything now becomes not me, but Jesus. And so that's so when you see this next passage, it's not isolated on its own. And sometimes we, we study it on its own. It comes from this verse, right? So do everything, including marriage, including parenting, including being uh, uh, how you associate with your parents, including even in their day, slaves and masters, or your workplaces, everything, okay? So um, what, what he then comes into is this called a house code, and why I call it that is because in, their, uh, in the Greco-Roman culture, th- this was very familiar, and, and, and they were set up so there wouldn't be chaos in your home. And their culture, they had pretty big households, right? So even older kids who were married, sometimes they'd still live uh, together. And so different age children, and, and they had uh, lots of them had slaves as well, as we'll explain that in, in a little bit when we get to that part. And, and, and so a household might be a little bit different than we have today, but the point is that, that, that they gave this instruction, but it was incredibly male-dominated. So Paul is going to take a house code they've been familiar with, but he's going to Christianize it. Right? In other words, he's going to say, but, but here's sort of the same setup, except here's how the Christian does it. And, and, and so he, he starts with a marriage clothed in Christ, right? So we already gave you a couple of previews, but when, when we, whenever I um, talk to a, a couple entering marriage, they're excited, right? They, they're looking forward to it. Jack and Kate are right over there. They're our next ones in October. Jack was like this. Kate was like, yeah, no. But, 
So they're excited, and they should be. No one goes into marriage going, this is probably going to stink and end in a couple of years. But something can happen, and sometimes marriage can look more like good old Archie. Let's see that clip now for, for real. Don't go on. So it was in Los Angeles on account of they lived in California. On she goes. One night, Franklin, that was the dog. He was whining and howling, which was his way of warning his master, who was my uncle's boy, that there was going to be an earthquake. <laughs> so my uncle Sport, he put on his robe and his tiny shoes, and he ran out of the building just as it started to shake. Well, everybody that stayed in the building was very safe, including the dog, Franklin. But my uncle, well, he got hurt because a sign fell on his head. And the sign said, stay indoors in case of earthquake. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you feel like marriage is like that sometimes, okay? So when we, we think about marriage, Paul wants us to look at it God's way, right? And, and so here's what I want to tell all of you. Some of the, because not everyone here is married or about to get married, right? We have a, every which way. We have kids in the room going, marriage, or maybe someday, right? And then we have some maybe are widowed or divorced or just never got married. And you need to remember that every scripture is for, is for every Christian for very different reasons. Maybe you will get married someday, or maybe that will be God's plan. Or you know married couples, right? Every scripture is for every Christian. Like for now, for me right now, even this scripture is about singleness. Even though I haven't been single in 23 years, they're still important for me for various reasons. And, and or uh, scriptures about how to deal with old age, even though there's kids in the room that probably think I'm old, I'm not there yet, they're important, right? And so uh, it, it, it's not, don't tune it out if you're not married or you're a long way from that, because you should be thinking already, this is who I should be looking for. This is what I should be looking for if I ever desire that good gift of marriage. Okay, so this is what uh, he says, right after do everything in Christ. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, boy, before anyone runs out of the room, I knew I should have given Bob this passage. Why didn't I do that? Let's read the whole thing first. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's the Christianized. It was a man-dominated thing. So in the Greco-Roman culture, typically it was, hey, wives, obey your husbands, period. That was it. That's how you keep order in the home. Paul says, as is fitting in Christ, in the Lord. Husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So you could already see the seesaw, complementary. So if you go all the way back to Genesis, which I'm not going to make you go there, this is where God instituted marriage, Adam and Eve. And, and uh, he, he, it's very, very clear. Both Adam and Eve, both man and woman, both husband and wife are made in God's image, made with distinction and honor and purpose, and neither are more important than the other, and neither are, 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 are more valued than God or more important, any of that, right? There was just distinct roles. Roles are not a matter of importance. They're a matter of roles that God assigns, right? And so what he said, that, and, and that was a perfect seesaw that Adam and Eve had. They complemented each other beautifully. 
until what happened was uh, that sin enters the picture, right? And then uh, God says to Eve, childbearing, it's going to hurt. Adam, work is going to really hurt now. And then he said something else, that the woman is going to now forever want to try to usurp the role of her husband. And we see that throughout history. And so it can go all the way back to God's beautiful design. But as we look at that seesaw, husbands, we can start with us, and that includes me, right? And, and it, it, again, the, 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 the typical house code just stayed, started with wives obey. Didn't have this whole other thing like, are you crazy? That wouldn't have been in a Greco-Roman culture, verse 19. But Paul gives it to us. He gives us two commands there. The, the first is love your wives. That might seem general and kind of obvious, right? But that is not a love that is romantic or sexual or attractional. It can include that, certainly. But it is an agape love, right? It is an ongoing caring for our wives before ourselves. Ongoing. Not just once, not just twice, continually dying to ourselves to say, what does my wife need? What does my wife want? How can I love my wife? How can I listen better to my wife? How, what does she need? Right? Loving her, putting on Christ, kindness, gentleness, right? the, the faithfulness, these, these, uh, uh, this kind of cross-centered love, an intention to cherish her, care for her, listen to her, be kind to her, always want what is best for her. This is agape love. The second command is to not treat our wives harshly. That's what it means to in Christ. Now that word harshly, in, in, it actually means to embitter. So harshly is a way to, when you're bitter towards someone, you treat them harshly. But it also means having bitterness towards our wives. Frustration, anger, right? Uh, just feeling fed up. I think there's a couple of main reasons why we get embittered, why we treat our wives, or we can get to the point where we're treating our wives harshly. There's probably more than that, but two that I've, uh, I've observed. One uh, kind of an example would be someone came, and I'll change the names, but this guy, we'll call him Charlie, he came in to my uh, uh, office one day with his wife in tow, and he was furious. You could tell, Pastor, you got to tell my wife to obey. So hold up, I'm not telling her that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pastor, you, you don't understand. And she goes on and on about all she isn't doing, what she isn't doing, right? And, and he's furious, and he's clearly bitter and frustrated and all that, right? And he could just tell. She's sad. She's angry. She's upset. She's shrinking more into the chair. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How is anything you're doing right now loving your wife the way Christ has loved you? Is it? And he's like, yeah, but, 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 but. I said, I don't want to hear the buts. Keep the buts in the seat. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Right? You, are you loving her the way Christ loved you? And if then, we can talk about the rest of it. You see, what happens, what, why we get embittered with our wives, guys, is we begin to compare them with something else or someone else. We can compare her with what we want her to be. Right? Our standard, socially, sexually, how she looks, how she talks. how she, We, we, we kind of have our version of what our wives might want to be when she's not living up to that. We get bitter and angry. 
we compare her to maybe someone else's wife. Even though we don't know her, we don't know her faults, we see her Instagram and say, wow, or her Facebook page. I'm like, man, she's a good mother and wife. We might not say that, but that can begin to happen. We begin to compare her to the, the, the woman she was in her 20s, even though she's in her 40s or 50s, after she's had four of your kids. Guys, if we had those four kids, we'd be dead, all right? And yet we'll do that and at, at various times, and we can begin to get frustrated because she's not the version of who we want. But God gave your wife to you to love, agape, always. There's no such thing as a soulmate. There is your wife who are, you are called to love and put before you. The second um, way we get bitter is embarrassing for us to admit, but sometimes we get bitter because she's much better at something than we are, which happens often, doesn't it? The kids respond better to her maybe, or she's better at her career, she's better with money, or she's better at fixing stuff, and I'm the guy, like, or she's better, whatever it is, and, and we can silently start to get jealous. When, when you think about it, guys, she's one flesh. Everything she's good at, you're good at. You ever think of it that way? That if she's a great mom to your kids, that's a blessing that you will receive. It's going to make you look like a better dad. And if she's great at her career, God's blessing your family for that. Or she's great at home, God's blessing your family with that. And so, so the embitterment that it causes frustration and harshness, Paul says, that's not, that's not how any husband is in Christ. And so we ask, guys, how are we doing with that? Guys who are not yet married, is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for somebody who you can treat that way? You're not just looking for someone who's cute. You might start there. You're looking for a woman you say, I can put her needs before mine for the rest of my life. If you're not ready to do that, don't get married. You're just going to screw people's lives up. You're just going to mess things up. But instead say, can I? that's why Christians marry Christians. That's why. You're not going to be able to do this without Christ. Right? And so, so he, he, he gives the husbands this code, which is so radically different than what you would have saw in their culture. What, I got to love her? I got to cherish her? I got to put her? Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. And so wives, it goes back to you for the ladies in the room. It says submit to your husband. This is a different word you're going to see in the other two parts of the code. The other two parts say obey. It doesn't say that. This means submit. It's, it's a more general term. It's a military term that means to willingly come under order, like under order of the rank and file so things are not chaotic to who is above you in, li in, in, in line. And so it is always, and this is so important, I see this get messed up so often, especially by husbands who don't want to do the work of loving their wives but want their wives to get in line. This is always willing. It is never coerced. It is never forced. It is never pushed by anyone else. This is a wife who says, I want to come under the leadership of my husband as he sets the tone of our house. As he, I want to be there under, behind him and with him. And I willingly do that. It, I, I would contend that um, 
eight out of ten times, and it's just kind of my ballpark guess, that when a husband, not perfectly, we're, we're, we're aspiring to be like Jesus, but we're not Jesus, right? So not perfectly, but when a husband is truly trying to put the needs of his wife before his and love the way we just described a few minutes ago, that eight out of ten times the wife gladly submits to that. Why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to submit to that? To someone who's loving you that way and is looking for you to flourish in every way possible? Give, sign me up, right? Now the other two times are still when a wife still wants to be in authority over her home and it causes problems and chaos in that house. And so that's why Paul gives us this beautiful order in Christ. When you, when you submit to the leadership of your husband, it is never to submit to something that is harmful, abusive, or sinful. This is in Christ. The assumption that Paul is making here is that the decisions are as best as he can in Christ. And when that's the case, you gladly say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So when it comes to this seesaw, I tell every um, premarital couple, whether it's in counseling or on their, their, their wedding day, this, like, um, wives, you may not know the power that you have over your husbands. You probably do. You're smart. The power that you have is amazing. And so you have the power to crush and you have the power to honor and lift up, and it's amazing what you can do with simple words and actions towards him. Like we, after this, you could line up, 50 of you could line up and, and, and tell me how uh, great I am. And, I, and, you know, I don't expect that, by the way. Please don't. Um, but that would obviously make me feel good about myself. Why wouldn't it, right? Then I could go home and Heather could say, you know what? <laughs> you are a terrible preacher. You really need to do something else. Thank God I don't foresee her saying that to me. And all 50 of you will be useless to me. It won't matter at all because she's my wife. Reverse it. You all can be here like, you went on too long. It's like 100 degrees in here. What would you do that for? And we could go home and, and Heather could say something to me to uplift me and honor me and I don't need any of you. That's how it works, wives. So honor your husbands even when they don't always deserve it especially in public, the, one of the worst things you can do is degrade them in front of their friends or other people. Teasing happens and jokes happen, but do not tear down your husbands. It's one of the worst things you can do. On the other hand, guys, we are to cherish our wives, to be their biggest fan, to always be studying, because they change, you know, by the hour sometimes. And studying and saying, how can I love her? You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. But then that's why we repent. We seek forgiveness. We ask for help. Here's what I want to do, because this isn't just a lecture on these things. Um, I want to just take a minute right now. Would you close your eyes for a sec? And I just want to give you just a minute. It's just a space of, of prayer, and I want you to ask the Lord how you're doing. If you're married, pretty obvious question. If you're single, however this might relate to you, or maybe you can just pray for married couples that you know. And in this space, just 
Maybe there's repentance that's needed. Maybe after this you need to ask forgiveness for your, to your spouse. Father, I pray for our married couples in the room. I ask for you to give them strength and courage to repent where necessary, seek forgiveness where needed. Thank you for where they're flourishing and doing this well. I pray for our husbands that they might agape their wives, love them the way you love us, not harshly. I pray for our wives in the room, Lord, that they would honor their husbands, truly seek to come under his leadership and be his biggest fan, that we could show the world how it's really done, how you taught us. For our singles here, wherever they might be on that map, if they ever seek being married, if that's something they want, Lord, that they would seek somebody that they can have this kind of relationship, that, that, that you would call them to pray for this, and to not take relationships and dating and that, to take it as seriously as you take it. Help us, Lord, in our marriages and in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. That's our longest house goat, I promise. He gets in his next verse to parents and kids. We have a few kids in the room. Parents, don't be jabbing each other or anything like that during this time, all right? Um, I have this sort of scene that I, I think about with my family. My brother's back there behind the computer, so he'll remember this pretty well. Um, we had dinner as a family most nights. It's a good thing to do. Didn't always go well, though. Often didn't. We would sit around this little kitchen table in our pretty small kitchen, and, and it was five of us. I have an older sister and an older brother, so they weren't expecting me, so I sat at the corner because it was really a four-person table. And I sat in this tiny orange chair, even when I was taller than everybody, um, that uh, didn't come with the table set. Sorry, Jamie, you came third, so that's how it goes. And uh, I'm not bitter at all, believe me. Um, and, and so, my, do you remember the day when, I don't know if you did this, my, my sister was just complaining about this to my dad this summer when we were together and said, why do we have to drink a full glass of whole milk at every single meal? But we did. So at, at dinner, I'd have this glass of somewhat cool milk, and I just didn't like it very much, right? And so I would kind of put it to my mouth and not really drink much, and that drove my father crazy. And my father could get really upset. And so he would look at me, and he just, he looked like uh, Mo from the Three Stooges, if that gives you any indication. And he would just look at me, and he's staring at me, staring at me, and, and he starts going like this, like, put your milk down or drink it, because he's told me this a million times. And I just had kind of had enough, and so I went. He's going, and I went. And then my brother across from me had already had a big thing of milk in his mouth, and I went. <laughs> and somehow we survived that. I don't remember what happened after that. Um, but, you know, my dad often had good cause, and my mom too, uh, to be angry with us. We deserved it. And sometimes not, because... Maybe he had a bad day and he was tired. I mean, I didn't understand the stresses of parenting. I do now, right? But back then, I'm like, what's wrong with dad? Why is he so upset all the time, right? But I look back, and I know my brother and sister feel the same way. We wouldn't have wanted it any other way. 
our family and the way we had it. It wasn't perfect. It was often messy, but it was beautiful in the way it worked, right? Because our parents loved us, and we knew that, and we loved them, even if sometimes it didn't look that way if you were to walk in. And so that's, when, when we look at this, I want you to remember that. It's never going to be like, oh, you know, and I mean, maybe you have a few of those moments, and then they're gone real quickly, right? There are, there, there, it is hard work. And so he, he gives us this, this house code. And again, this part, children, obey your parents in everything. This would have been normal in the house code of their culture. The rest of it, uh, probably not. Definitely not this part. And, and by the way, when he says children, this usually meant younger children, but any child who was under their roof. So it could include teenagers or young adults, right? It, 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 so if you have parents in the room and you're not in their house, you're still called to honor them, and you're still called to as much as you can to love and respect them, but obey them not anymore, right? It's, it's not, you're not under their house, their authority anymore. But if you are under their house, you, you are, right? So he says, children, obey your parents in everything. But then he adds to it, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you have the seesaw again. If both are doing it well, it's a beautiful ride. If one, it's come crashing to the ground. And, and when he says fathers, that really can be fathers and mothers. Obviously, especially in their culture, fathers were the rule. So it was more likely that they were going to provoke their kids than moms. But in our culture, it can still be both of us, can it? And so when, when, when you look at what that means, moms and dads in the room, we have a serious responsibility to watch over them, to love them, care for them, protect them, instruct them, and yes, discipline them, right? To, to, because we are raising them. It's such a responsibility. There is, man, not much that you can find that's more of a responsibility than parenting. And, and it's hard because there's no rule book, Right? I mean, there's just no rule book. You get your kid, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, before I had Nathan over there, nobody let me hold their kids. They were afraid I was going to drop them. But now there's nobody else to hold them but me and Heather, and that was it, right? I had to figure it out. And, and as we've gone, each stage, is, there's no rule book. There's a gray area. When, when do we instruct and, and discipline, and when do we show them grace? And, and what, like, it's, it's really not, it's hard. It's a lot of gray. It's a lot of on your knees saying, God, help me, right? Wisdom. At every stage, if you got toddlers, it's like, when do I, right? You have those questions. And then they become teenagers or young adults. Like, all right, what is this stage? What do I do? It's hard work, but it's beautiful work. And so what he says to us, he gives us just that one line, right? That do not provoke them so that they don't give up. Right? That's what that means. So they get discouraged. They, they don't want to do it God's way. They don't want to. They're just discouraged and they want to give up because we provoke them. That means to intentionally do certain things. Certain things like in always trying to find faults, right? Just always looking. Well, you did that wrong again. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. Like even if they did it wrong, eventually they're like, I give up. I don't care anymore. That's what he's saying. Even when we, we kind of mean well, we can sometimes crush 
when when we really want to flourish and lift up. And I think we do that, moms and dads, because, again, we have sort of our view of how we want them to be. And that might not be God's view for how they're going to be. And it's hard. And we also live vicariously through them because maybe we didn't do as well then. So now our kids, right, and, and, and when they're not doing it right, we start to get upset and we, we, we find fault and we provoke. And This is no longer discipline. This is now stirring up discouragement. And, and the fact of the matter is they may not do college the way we want or do a career the way we think they should or wear their hair the way they should or dress the way they should, right? Our, as Christians, our only real goal should be they are godly and in Christ. That's it. If they're in Christ and they're poor or in Christ and they're rich. If they're rich, they're taking me on good vacations. I do know that. But either way, it doesn't matter. If they're, you know, in Christ and they're a doctor or a lawyer or they're in Christ and they're, a, you know, a missionary in Haiti. Wherever God calls them, that's what we want. And that's sometimes easier said than done. That we think, but this is how it's got to be. This is how I did it, or this is how I saw that family do it, or that, right? And no, that's not necessarily the way God will want or if it's going to flourish our kids. And so he says, do not provoke. Now, kids in the room, if you're under your parents' house, one of the best ways you can create a space for your parents to encourage you is to do what they say as much as you can. Even when you're like, <laughs> if it's not, it's in the Lord. So hear me, never to sin. If you have a, a, even if it's a Christian parent or certainly if it's not, and they want you to, you know, steal or lie or they think they encourage you to watch pornography or something like that. No, no, no. That's not what this is. It is when it's something like, hey, your curfew, right? Curfew's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock? Nothing good happens before 10. Anyway, we won't get into that. Really nothing good happens after 10, but that might be your viewpoint, right? And so you're like, oh. and so you can fight that and fight that, or you can say, I'm going to obey it for a couple of months. And you're home every single time you go out 10 o'clock. And then now, you can have the discussion, hey, mom, dad, what do you think about 11 o'clock? They may have good reason to say no, but they're far more likely to say, well, I trusted you at 10. I can trust you at 11. Or whatever it might be. The more you can say yes and give your parents that, ah, the more likely it is that they're going to listen to you and give you that respect that you so desperately want. That's the seesaw. And if you just, if nothing else, especially if you're a believer, right, our kids in the room, he very clearly says, this pleases God. This pleases God. So if you're like, I see no reason, there is a very good reason. God is pleased with you when you obey your mom and dad, even if you don't always understand. Let's pray about this one. Praying for our parents and kids, and as we we make space for this. It's a chance for parents, including me, again, maybe there's something you need to repent of. A spirit of discouragement, anger, frustration. Or maybe our students, our kids in the room, 
Maybe there's been a spirit of disobedience in your life or anger towards your parents or rebellion in some way. Come under the grace and forgiveness of God and give it to Him. Lord, I ask for you to bless, oh, bless our homes represented here. Bless our parents. Give them amazing amounts of wisdom and patience and strength. And bless our kids as they come underneath the authority of their parents, even when their parents aren't perfect and do mess up. That that beautiful, messy relationship will flourish in you and that we'll be great examples to our communities around us. And Lord, may we be a church that comes alongside families to show and to counsel and to help that we might do it in Christ. In Jesus' name. For just a few minutes, this won't be long, I promise. Um, that's a weird thing to have on the screen, but let's talk about slavery. Slavery in their culture, Greco-Roman culture, was um, not like the slavery that, there was some commonalities with the slavery that we had, our African slave trade, um, in that you owned another person as property, which is never good. But, it was not racially, okay, uh, or economically or anything. It was economic purely, right? So you, you, you had half the population in their culture were slaves, half. 60 million slaves at the time Paul wrote this. So it was a huge part of their economy and their culture, huge. Um, eventually ended, right? But in this time and place, um, people will ask a lot, well, why didn't Paul, or for Jesus for that matter, or the other apostles for that matter, why didn't they call for a rebellion to end such a horrible practice? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it would have done no good. They were too minority. I mean, it, it, they would have been stomped out. It would have done no good. It would have not have overturned such a huge widespread practice. And second, their primary purpose was not for social causes. It was to herald the good news of Jesus Christ, to herald it and to spread it and to do what we're talking about tonight, live in it. Now, that does mean you step into social causes and you pray for those. If you really want Paul's thoughts on slavery, read the letter that accompanied Colossians. It's in your Bible. It's called Philemon. We won't read it for time's sake, but you can read it. And Philemon was a slave owner. And Onesimus was a runaway slave that got saved in Christ under Paul's ministry. And Paul was sending Onesimus back to him with this letter saying, Hey, I know he's yours and he's coming back and that's the proper thing to do, but I want you to receive him as a brother in the Lord. And so what ended up happening over a few centuries in Greco-Roman culture was as the church began to spread and spread and spread, eventually slavery stopped. And it was because not a minority of Christians saying, this has to stop. It was the widespread gospel being preached and people coming to Christ. And as that happened, they realized the atrocities and horrificness of slavery. And it ended. Paul's point here is not to condone slavery. He's speaking very practically. It exists. So how do Christians operate under it? Praise God. It does not exist for us in our culture here today. But we will quickly apply it as well. He says, bond servants or slaves, another translation, 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Sincerity of heart just means straight-minded. So you're not faking it. You're sincerely working hard, right? For who? Your earthly masters. So that tells you right there it's temporary. And it also means you're a Christian. You have a heavenly master, and that's eternal. And so he says in verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right? So whenever you're like, I don't want to do this, and I know this isn't fair, this isn't fair. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, let God bring justice. Let God sort it out. You work as if you're working for God. In chapter 4, verse 1, the seesaw, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so that was not part of a typical house code. The first part, yeah, slaves do what your masters want, keep order. But this, masters, treat your slaves with justice and fairness. Treat them fairly. Treat them well. That is basically what he tells Philemon, even more so. To treat in Christ even those who are under you as slaves. And so it was this radical way for them to live that was just crazy in their time. Radical. So how do we apply this to our lives? Usually... You're used to seeing it applied to workplaces. It's kind of a stretch, but I still think it's okay. But I don't know anyone here whose boss is their master or that you have, like they own you. I hope not. See me after if that's the case. We'll deal with that. But it certainly has its, like when you have a workplace or a boss that is like, like they have a lot of authority over you, maybe you could quit, but then you don't pay the bills, right? Or, right, so they, they can treat you fairly or unfairly and there are times when it seems incredibly unfair or what they're asking you to do or you're being passed over or this just isn't right. And it's as if I feel like a slave. I may not be, right? I may feel like one. And so what Paul says is while you're in that situation, work heartily, sincere of heart as if God is right there with you. And so if you're like, I'm sick of this job or sick of my boss, that's, that's fine. You continue to pray for them. You work as if Jesus is your boss because he is. And if you're a boss, you treat each and every person underneath you as Christ has treated you with fairness and with dignity and with respect. Because first and foremost, you are not a boss. You are a Christian. And if you're a bad boss because you're a great Christian, so be it. Right? You still need to discipline. You still need to help. You still need to correct. But you are in Christ. You treat with fairness and you treat with respect. I think um, that this also can just be any place that you're in your life where it just feels unfair. Right? Like... Um, Somebody's born into a single-parent household where they're not educated and have to work three jobs just to pay for rent and food. Like, then you're, this person over here, it seems like, man, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and it feels unfair. 
or whatever, whatever uh, situation you might ha- come across in your life where it's just like, this isn't fair, right? That, that Paul says, man, work, do in your situation, right? Do it as unto the Lord. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. It avoids a lot of heartbreak and heartache if we just say, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing it for God. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else cares I'm doing it. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it sincerely for God. He is pleased by that. And anything that doesn't happen in in a a fairness situation for you, God will sort it out in the end. He will sort it out. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for whatever situations in, um, in this room right now that aren't going well at work or some kind of life situation that feels stuck. Lord, we acknowledge that, praise God, we are not like slaves were, but it can still hurt. It can be exhausting and hurtful. Lord, I pray that you give us grace tonight to sit under that grace and forgiveness of maybe our attitudes that we've had. And show us and give us the strength, Lord, to go about our tasks or our jobs or whatever it might be. Knowing that you're our, you're our Lord, you're our master. We seek to please you. And at the end of the day, oh God, if we rest our heads on our pillows and we know that we've pleased you today. That's all that matters. Remind us continually of that. We all get so lost, Father. We get lost in trying to please others and get what we think we deserve. Continually remind us to keep it simple and live for you. Again, I pray for our homes represented here. May we flourish in the gospel. May we flourish in Christ. And may so many know the love of Jesus because we are here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.